we've been on a journey as of late, um, dealing with some things that are hard to hear and some things that are hard to take. It's been a journey through the book of 2 Corinthians, and as we've journeyed through it, it's been a joy for me to dive into the text and to uh, seek the Lord in the midst of the text. And, and what is he saying? What was he saying to the church of Corinth? What does he say to us? And how do we apply these uh, truths? Um, it would be true to say that um, there's uh, portions of the text where we're understanding uh, what Paul is saying in the context is hard unless we dive into uh, more understanding as to Corinth and that community. There's been some major themes here. You'll remember that uh, primarily the issue has been that the church of Corinth has rejected Paul as an apostle, as a leader of the church. Uh, some people have traveled in, some speakers, they've, they have come with letters of reference uh, saying that they are people who have the privilege, the right to speak, and they undermine Paul uh, because Paul is weak. Paul is one who is uh, providing for himself. Paul's not a great speaker, and Paul defends this, and it kind of ramps up, and over the last uh, few chapters here, we see that. Paul is defending his apostleship, his authority, his right to speak to the church of Corinth. Uh, today we're going to see that uh, uh, Paul t- continues this defense. A couple weeks ago we talked about how Paul suffered much for the sake of the gospel. And uh, how that was one of his defenses. That he had been beaten, uh, near death, stoned. How he had been shipwrecked for the gospel. How how the Romans had um, beaten on him and whipped him, and so too had the Jews. All these things are a defense. And now Paul's going to point to this reality uh, that he has had revelation, vision uh, from God as a next defense in his apostleship. There's been some other themes as well that, that in weakness we're made strong. As we learn to come to terms with our own brokenness and become dependent on God, it's in those moments that God is glorified. We've also seen this theme of spiritual warfare, that there is a war that is raging on around us in the unseen world. Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 as the God of this world has blinded the hearts and minds of those who are perishing. In chapter 10, Pastor Art unpacked this, where he talks about this spiritual warfare, and and he says that the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but of divine power to destroy strongholds. The Greek word for stronghold is topos. Uh, It means to, to take ground in the life of the believer. And the warfare that we engage in is claiming back the ground that Christ, Christ has given. Here we will see a little bit more of this spiritual battle that is raging and how Paul is involved in it. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to encourage you uh, to bring your Bibles uh, because it's always of help to follow along, to write notes, to uh, see what the Lord is saying through his scriptures. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 Verses 1 through 10. Let me warn you as we read this that this is a difficult passage. And I also want to just say that um, 
you know, we may, we may not leave like with a clear uh, understand. There may be some mystery. And in some ways, we may leave a bit dissatisfied as we unpack this. And yet, there are some strong principles for us to apply. And so, please take note of that. Verse 1 of chapter 12. I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. You see, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told which man may not utter. On behalf of this man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast except of my weakness. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insult, hardship, persecution, calamities. You see, for when I am weak, then, then I am strong. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word here this morning. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit who leads and guides us, who fills and seals us, who helps us to know and understand the truth, who helps us to walk in righteousness. And so illuminate your word this morning, we pray. Help us to leave this morning knowing that, first of all, the truth, and that we would hold on to it, that we would be set free. And then secondly, may we have an encounter with you and your presence. And ultimately, would that bring transformation to our lives? Oh God, have your way, we pray. Redeem this time for your honor and glory. In Christ's name, amen. So Paul transitions in chapter uh, 12 from speaking of this great persecution that he has endured uh, uh, for the sake of the cross to now where he's going to unpack this reality. There's probably some parallels here that these super apostles, these servants of Satan, have come in and, and they're speaking about these revelations that they've had. And Paul is contrasting their explanation, their experience with his own. That's probably what's likely to be happening here. And so Paul uh, begins by saying, must I go on boasting? Must I, I continue to explain the reality that I am an apostle, one in whom should be listened to? Must I go on boasting? Though there's nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and to revelations of the Lord. 
Paul is speaking here about visions and revelations of the Lord. He's, he's going to unpack these things probably in contrast to, to these super apostles, these ones who are his opponents, the ones who are in opposition to him. Now we need to understand that when Paul speaks of visions and revelations and the one that he's about to unpack, he's not speaking of a dream here. One in which you have when you go to sleep and you have a dream or a vision that you have that, that isn't tangible. No, no, Paul is using the word vision and dream consistent with how Luke uses it in, in the Gospel of Luke. You see, when Luke uses the, the same Greek word here, the context that he's using it in is one of a, 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 an experience that he has. It's the word that uh, Zechariah uses when he describes the vision that he has of the appearance of the angel Gabriel standing before him. You see, what Paul is doing is he's, he's using that same word. It's, it's not a, a vision in the intangible sense. No, it's rather a revelation, an explanation. It's a, a, a tangible experience that he has. In Luke chapter 24, the same word is used when, when he's speaking about the angel that is on the tomb as uh, those are about to access the tomb. It, it's not something that, that you know, is, is conjured up within. It's a tangible revelation. It's not of the mind, but rather it's an experience that Paul has. And Paul is, is speaking about this experience, this revelation, this vision of the Lord. Friends, Paul is helping the, the church of Corinth to understand that he's going to speak about some things that he's not spoken about before. As he goes on, he uses a literary tool to help the people to understand, and there's a couple of tensions here. He transitions from himself, the first person, let me tell you about my visions, my revelations, and now he transitions to talk about a man that he knew in Christ. It's a man that he knew in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. What Paul is doing by transitioning here is he's helping the audience to understand that he's not unique. That he's not someone special. He's not someone to be placed on a pedestal because he's had this revelation, this vision. It's a literary tool and it's, in a sense, it's, it's, it's a futuristic reality that all people are going to be experiencing this. It's by grace that Paul was uh, brought into this uh, vision, this revelation. And so too shall you and I enter the third heaven when we die, when we are raised up with Christ into the heavenly places. You see, Paul is not unique in that sense. He's not someone special, someone who, who, isn't, uh, you know, who has special access to God because he, he, he walks with God in a unique way. No, no, no. God is the, uh, Paul is the chief of all sinners. He's keenly aware of that. It's, it's an act of grace that God would uh, open up this reality to him. And Paul wants his audience to know that, that we too shall enter into the third heaven when we die. He says, on the 14th year, this man who was caught up to the third heaven. Paul explains when he's unpacking this, he, he's putting it in a time and place. He's helping the audience to understand that this is a real event, that this actually happened. Now, 14 years ago would put uh, Paul in Tarsus as far as timelines concerned. You see, 2 Corinthians was probably written around 54 AD or 55 AD. Paul was in Tarsus around 40 AD. Here's, here's kind of the timeline of Paul's life. 
We don't know if Paul was exposed to Jesus or what level he was, but we know that he was alive during the life of Jesus. It was uh, later in his life that he was trying to stop the advancement of the church. You'll remember reading that it was Paul who stood uh, uh, with the Pharisees and cast his lot against Stephen, who was preaching the gospel, and said, yeah, let's stone him. That's Paul. Paul was doing all he can to stop the, the growth of the church. He was trying to stop what God was doing through the church. He was throwing women and men in prison. That was his mission. That was his goal. It was while he was doing this, he decided to head up to Damascus. It wasn't enough that Paul stopped the work of God in Jerusalem. No, he wanted to go to Damascus to end this thing once for all. While he's on the road to Damascus, Jesus appears to him in a light. This vision that we're talking about today is not that encounter. But Jesus, through a light, knocks Paul off uh, his horse as he's traveling. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? It is I, Jesus, Jesus Christ. Paul realizes the error of his ways. He's blinded from this light. He, he, he gets on his horse with his group, and he heads off to Damascus, and there he waits. He fasts and prays, and eventually uh, God sends Ananias to him. Ananias is told to go to him and to pray for him, and he lays hands on him, and, and uh, the, the, the shales are removed from Paul's eyes. He can see. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, and immediately he's baptized. This is the story of Paul. As he's in Damascus, he's so transformed by the truth of God's word, by the gospel of Jesus Christ, by this encounter that he's had with Christ, that he preaches the gospel in Damascus with such effectiveness. Many come to faith. The community take note, and the leaders take note, and, and they want to stop the gospel. And so they want to kill Paul. Word gets out that Paul is, uh, is, uh, is being sought to be killed. And, and so what does he do? He wants to be obedient to the heavenly vision that he had when Jesus said that he would uh, proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles and suffer much. But he realizes his life is on the line. He talks to the disciples that he's with in Damascus. They put him in a basket and lower him down the wall. He heads to Jerusalem to find the disciples to continue on in his ministry. When he gets to Jerusalem, the disciples are afraid of him. Barnabas vouches for him. The disciples are still afraid and not knowing what to do with Paul and the persecution that had risen up. They say to Paul, head back to Tarsus and wait. Oh, that's the dark night of the soul, friends, when you get a vision from God, when you get a sense that God is at work, to be put on the shelf is one of the hardest things to endure. You're chomping at the bit. You want to uh, serve and to do what God's called you to do, and yet you're on the shelf. What does that feel like? Paul obeys the heavenly vision, uh, uh, the direction, I'm sorry, of the disciples. He heads to Tarsus. It's while he's in Tarsus waiting to serve the Lord that the Spirit of God uh, uh, comes upon Paul and teaches him many things. And it's at this time that this revelation, this vision, this encounter happens. It happens. Paul is brought up to the third heaven, to paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, he doesn't know. God knows. In other words, it's not the point whether he's in the body or out of the body. That's just for God to know. There's a mystery around this. He says that this time he was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. That's not what's important here. 
He goes on to say this, he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. Hmm. I wonder what that would have been like. He heard things that could not be told, which man may not utter. While Paul was in Tarsus, he heard things. He experienced things. He, he saw things, a heavenly vision. And he had no permission to speak of it. And even here, you'll notice that he doesn't give much light as to what the encounter was. He just tells us that this was his reality. He doesn't unpack it for us. He doesn't uh, uh, help us to understand what this vision is. He just, he just tells us that this is what it was. And then he explains that he had no permission to speak of it. You know what, friends? There's, there's a time and a place for us to share the things that are heavy on our heart. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm a bit of a bull in a china shop, you know. I learn something. I get so excited and passionate about it, and I, I want everyone to know. <laughs> and I don't necessarily walk and step with the Spirit of God. My wife has often ha- felt the brunt of this, you know. I'll come in, and, and sometimes I'll see, you need to change. Like, look at what God is doing. And she just smiles, and she's so gracious with me. No, God sometimes often wants to unpack things with us and wants us to journey with him. And he wants us to walk closely with him. Friends, we need to walk and step with the Spirit of God. We, we need to know sometimes that God is speaking to us. And it's for our benefit. I imagine that these things were a part of Paul's journey because he would endure much for the sake of the gospel. I imagine that these, this vision that, that God uh, gave to him was helpful in him understanding, you know, who he is. And, and then later he would unpack some of these truths as he writes the epistles and letters to the church. I imagine that, that this vision that Paul is speaking about, parts and portions of it are, are scattered throughout the scriptures. And it's what helped him to endure much suffering, much persecution. And yet, yet there's an element that he could not talk about. There's an element that he could not utter. And so Paul continues on. He says, on behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weakness. See, Paul wants to be careful that people don't put him on the pedestal. They don't look at him and, and think that he's something that he's not. No, he's, he's a broken man like you and I. He's a sinner in need of a savior. Paul is a man who, who, who deserved hell just like we do. And yet, by the grace of God and through what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, he is saved. And God has called him to walk with him. God has called him to be uh, a servant of his. And yet, yet we are so weak. And Paul's point is that in the midst of our weakness, now he's made strong. He goes on to say this, Oh, if I should boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it so that No one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Paul is basically saying, look, I've had these encounters, these revelations, these visions. I've been to the third heaven. And yet, don't think I'm great. 
Don't, don't fix your attention on me. Don't trust me. No, no, keep your eyes on Jesus. For he's the author and perfecter of our faith. Paul has a right understanding of who he is. A clear identity that his identity is wrapped up in who Jesus Christ is. He, he clearly understands that that Christ is the object of his affection, and so it should be for everyone else. Don't praise Paul. Uh, don't worship Paul. No, no, no. Worship Jesus Christ the Lord and him alone. Paul, Paul could be a good friend, a good leader, a, a wonderful apostle, but nothing more than that, a servant of the Most High God. Paul wants to ground what he's about to say in this reality. He wants the church to clearly understand who he is. This is probably in opposition to the apostles who are leading the church of Corinth now. Almost for sure they're calling attention to themselves. Almost for sure they're saying, we're great and mighty. Follow us. Almost for sure. They're speaking more highly of themselves and the work that they are doing versus the work that Christ is doing in and through them. And that's why Paul calls these super apostles servants of Satan. Paul wants no part of that, no. In his humility, he wants to move forward. In his weakness, he wants, to find, wants Christ to be his strength. He goes on to say this. That in light of this vision and revelation, he goes on to say, and so, so to keep me from becoming conceited, a real temptation for Paul, for all of us, a temptation to be proud and arrogant, to, to say, look at me, look what I know, look what I've seen, look what I've done. So in an attempt to keep him from becoming conceited because of this vision that he had, this, this revelation, Paul says, that to stop him from becoming proud and arrogant or conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Now it's interesting, if you do a bit of a study on the thorn in the flesh, there's all kinds of views as to what it is. In the dark ages, they thought it was a sexual uh, uh, temptation that he had. But that doesn't seem to be consistent with the text. Some have suggested that it was his sight, but if it was his sight, he would just probably speak plainly of it. What was the thorn in the flesh? When God doesn't tell us the thorn in the flesh, the point is we aren't to know the thorn in the flesh, really. What the point is is that there's a, a messenger of Satan who's harassing Paul. I wonder what that looked like. The messenger of Satan, if you read the text and do a word study, it, it, it's certainly a, a fallen being. It's, it's one of Satan's cohort, one of the one-third that fell with Satan when he turned his back on God and allowed pride to overtake his heart. It's one of his. And he's been assigned to Paul to harass him. To, to bother him, to get his attention off of Jesus Christ the Lord. That's the object. To take pride and to be conceited, to be arrogant for the things that God had showed him. 
this messenger of Satan was, was assigned to Paul. Now, friends, I, I don't understand everything about the spiritual realm. I know there's two tendencies in the Western world. One is to, to sort of say that behind every uh, reality is a spiritual uh, reason, and that's simply not true. You know, when you consider Jesus in his ministry, sometimes he dealt with physical ailments, and he just said, your sins are forgiven. Get up and walk. There, there was no spiritual or demonic attack in that case, and so it was an issue of sin. Sometimes it would be an issue that, that, you know, it was to the glory of God, as in John chapter 9, when, when the disciples said, who sinned here, him or his parents? Neither, but to the glory of God, he was blind. And yet there are occasions, there are occasions where, where uh, unclean spirits are involved. And Jesus deals with the unclean spirit and, and that the ailment is gone. It's solved, the problem solved. And so great discernment is needed. Here we see that the spirit realm is at play. And friends, it's not at play necessarily in everything. There's not a demon behind every rock and we need to be cautious of that. But the other extreme, because we come out of a, a modernist worldview where science is the answer to everything, I know it preceded postmodernism. We've shifted even from that maybe to a post truth worldview now. I understand that, but there's still the lingering effect that, that there is no spiritual realm, you know, resides within the church at times. We don't take notice. We, we don't recognize the battle that is raging on around us. More often than not, in the church, we tend to battle with flesh and blood than with the warfare that God would have us do. I'm so encouraged as of late in the church as people have heard the call to prayer. Last week, we gathered for our, our monthly premium. Man, was I encouraged to see so many people come out and worship our great God and call on His name. Friends, make no mistake, that's where the battle's won and lost. Why? It's an act of humility to bend your knees and to call on our great God. It's an act of humility. It's saying, I can't solve these problems. I need you. Friends, if you want to be at the most important meeting of the, of the month, come to that prayer meeting. It's where God, in so many ways, shows up. It's where the kingdom is advanced and we move forward. Lives are changed and transformed. Friends, there's two polar opposites. One is a demon behind every rock. The other is there is no satanic work around us. Friends, yes, there is. See, Paul understood that in the midst of this great revelation and vision that Satan was at work against him. That he sent a messenger to harass him. I don't know what that looked like. Maybe it was, hey, Paul. There's two ways to advance the kingdom. There's the easy way and the hard way. The hard way is through suffering. Don't go that way. Come on, let's do it this way. Tell everyone what you saw, and you'll be placed on a pedestal, and everyone will follow. Hmm, I don't know. Paul, you're great. God loves you so much, he wants to use you. Tell everyone what you saw. Hmm. There's the easy way and the hard way. 
Chapter 11 declares that Paul took the hard way. He refused to speak of these things, as it says in chapter 12, the surpassing greatness of the revelation. And in the midst of this, this thorn in the flesh was given to him, a messenger from Satan, to harass him. Friends, at work in our world is the God of this world. And he seeks to blind those who are perishing, friends. When you tell someone who doesn't know Christ about the gospel, you enter into spiritual warfare. It's true. But more than that, more than that, friends, as we, as we dive in, as we seek the Lord, as we yield ourselves to him, the kingdom advances. And messengers of Satan are, are sent out. They're sent out to harass, to bother. But make no mistake, we need not be afraid. We need not be afraid. Have you listened to your prayers of late? Are they prayers based on fear or on the sovereign God who sent his son, who died on the cross, who is victorious, who is risen? There's no need to be afraid. All authority and power has been given to Christ and to us as well who call him our great Savior. We don't need to be afraid. Jesus Christ is the ruler. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's in control. And so even in the midst of this, this messenger of Satan who sent to harass Paul, and this has been a, a long, enduring reality, because Paul had the vision, and for 14 years, this Unclean spirit is sent to harass him, and it's just harassing and harassing and harassing. Yet Paul, he never really complains about it. He never really, you know, makes this the center of his attention. No, Jesus Christ the Lord is the center of his attention. And even though this, this unclean messenger of Satan is harassing him, it doesn't hinder the work of Paul and the ministry of Christ through Paul. No. No, not at all. It makes me wonder about your reality, my reality. Are messengers of Satan sent to harass you or me? And how do we manage? How do we cope? Well, in all likelihood, there's a, a, a truth to that, I would suggest. I love how Paul handles this. He acknowledges this, and, and yet in the midst of it, he sees God at work. He sees God at work. See, this, the, the messenger of Satan has come to harass, to destroy, to pillage, to stop the work of God. And yet Paul sees the harassment as a work of God in keeping with what God is doing. See, friends, make no mistake, God can take the most hellish reality and use it for his glory. He's able. You know that? God is able to take the most hellish reality and use it for his glory. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is able to redeem even the, the, the greatest opposition towards him and use it for his glory and honor? See, God's ways aren't our ways. Isn't that true? 
I mean, who would have thought that God would send his son, the perfect sacrifice? Who would have thought that he would have died on the cross for you and for me? Who would have thought while he was in the grave that he would rise again? And yet, and yet the most hellish day on planet earth when Jesus Christ suffered for you and for me was the greatest day of victory God is able. He's able to make the the most hellish realities Turn him for his glory. He's able. So Paul, recognizing the spiritual opposition against him, notice what he does. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. That it should leave me. Hmm. I love that. Friends, so often we think that uh, it's our plight. It's our challenge. It's our cross to bear. And maybe it is. I'm not saying that it isn't always that way. But we don't even come to God with our concerns, with our pleads, with the battles that we find ourselves in. We dismiss it and think, no, it's not a real battle. That's sometimes what we do. Or we think to ourselves that we have to endure it. But Paul's posture wasn't that posture. Notice that that even in the midst of this great revelation... This great vision that he has. He, he encounters things that he cannot speak about. That are surpassing uh, a, story, a glory of God. He, he encounters all of this. A, a messenger of sa- Satan is sent to harass him. And Paul says, God. Lord. This, this is wearing me down. Would you take it away? No. No. My, my grace is sufficient, Paul. Uh, in your weakness, you're made perfect through my power. Friends, maybe you're being harassed by an unclean spirit and you haven't pleaded with the Lord. I love Paul's posture. He goes directly to the Lord. A second time, Lord, this is difficult. Would you please take it away? No, Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Uh, a third time, following the example of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, uh, he's still harassing me. Uh, w- would you, Lord, just take this away f- from me? He pleads. Uh, no, Paul. I love you too much. Uh, you'll become conceited, Paul. You, you won't rest in me. You, you'll, no, 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 Paul, my, my grace is sufficient for you. Uh, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul receives the response of God. Now, Now, what does this do to your theology, to my theology? How do we understand this? I I don't know. There's a mystery here. i got to be honest. 
More often than not, in the New Testament, Jesus dealt with unclean spirits, and he would cast them out. And so did his disciples. The other day I was reading Acts chapter 8, and I was reading about Philip the evangelist going to Samaria. And there he preached the gospel, and it says he healed the lame, and he cast out demons, and they left shrieking and crying. And I go, Lord, I, I don't understand this. This doesn't make sense to me. A messenger of Satan. And you know what, friends? I, I don't know if I don't know if there is an answer this side of heaven. I, I don't understand it. But I do understand this that Paul doesn't complain. Paul, Paul doesn't take a pity trip. Paul doesn't. Uh, feel sorry for himself? No, Paul. Uh, look what Paul says. He says what? Therefore, God answered me. God has spoken. I trust my heavenly Father, for he loves me. My identity is wrapped up in who he is. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may, be, uh, may rest upon me. Isn't that fantastic? He says, it's all good. It's good. I, I trust my heavenly Father. I've asked, I've pleaded. The Lord said, no, rest in me. My grace is sufficiency. Allow my power to work in and through you. You keep your eyes on me. Keep your focus on me. I love his response. How do we handle it when the Lord says no to us? When we plead with him to take away the harassment, the challenges, when we plead with him to remove the aches, can we see the power of Christ in us? Paul goes on to say, for the sake of Christ, then, I'm content. That's a nice spot to be. I, I'm content. I, 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 I'm good. Would you love to be content? Paul says in Timothy, contentment and godliness leads to great gain. I'm content. It's not that he's closing his eyes and sweeping his reality under the rug. No. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with what? My weaknesses. I'm content with insults. I'm content with hardship. I'm content with persecution. With calamity. I'm content. You see, for when I'm weak, then I am strong. I'm strong. Why? Christ in me, the hope of glory.
He's strong. Let's stand together, friends. What's your plight? What's your challenge? Where are you today? Friends, make no mistake, Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord. He has risen from the grave. He has conquered sin and death. All authority and power is His. He is Lord. Friends, if you've never received Christ, if you've never come to terms with your own sinfulness, listen to me. Friends, you will not escape the judgment that is to come. You may think that you are different than all those who preceded you, that your plan is better. Friends, it ain't better. You will stand in judgment one day, and Jesus Christ is the only hope you, I, we have. His death and resurrection is the answer It's the answer to your reality, to my reality, to your sin, to my sin. He has paid in full for all our sin. Friends, if you've never called on his name, listen to me, call today. He will receive you. He will forgive you. He will accept you and give you a new identity. Friends, what's your plight? What's your challenge? What's your ailment? What's your weakness? What's your persecution? What's your struggle? Has a messenger of Satan been sent to harass you? Friends, have you pleaded with the Lord to take him away? So that's Paul's first, first, first response. If you haven't, Friends, I say this gently, but firmly, you've erred. Call on him. Plead with him. Plead that he will take it away. And in your weakness, be found strong. Let Christ be your sufficiency. Thirdly, maybe you have pleaded and the Lord, the Lord is silent, then keep pleading. It's never sin to plead for the Lord's grace and sufficiency. But also, listen. Listen to the Lord. He speaks. He brings clarity. And he knows you and I better than we know ourselves. And he is trustworthy. And so, Lord, you know our hearts, our plight, our challenges. These things are hard to hear and hard to take, and yet, yet you call us to walk with you. And soon, in short order, we're coming to the table to remember what Christ has done for us. And so, Lord Jesus, as we gather around this table, minister to us. As we remember what you have done, may May our time at the table be refreshing, not mundane. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh upon us, we pray. Awaken in us the truth and help us to hold on that we would be set free. Amen.